Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, The Purpose of Marriage. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. On this tape today, I want to share with you about the subject of marriage. This tape will be the first teaching in a series on the subject of marriage where we deal with all different aspects. We'll be talking about the priority or the position that God intended for marriage to occupy in our life. We'll be talking about God's kind of love, which has to be the foundation of all marriage. We'll spend a number of sessions dealing with that. We'll talk about strife and what causes strife. Surprisingly, it's not your mate that causes strife. It's not what other people do, but rather it's what's inside of us that causes us to be angry. We'll be dealing with uh, child training, discipline in marriage. We'll be dealing with the roles of the husband and wife. We'll be talking about sex in marriage, the physical relationship, and dealing with just a number of different aspects of marriage. Before I get into today's teaching, talking about the purpose of marriage, I want to make just a few comments in general. And that is that in our society today, we see an unprecedented attack on the family. I mean, it is being attacked at a rate that nearly one out of two marriages today ends in divorce. Nearly half of all marriages end in divorce. I also heard a statistic on the radio just this last week where they said that now there are more divorcees who are marrying than there are people who have never been married marrying for the first time. I mean, our society has been hit in the area of marriage, broken families, uh, in a way that our fathers or our grandfathers never would have dreamed of. And the way that I look at it is that if you were fighting a war against an enemy, and if that enemy marshaled all of his forces and attacked on one flank, then you would have to respond accordingly. You would have to marshal your forces and meet with an equal or a greater response of force. But the church just hasn't been doing it. The church has not really dealt with this subject of marriage properly. Now, I believe that most people are aware from uh, the teaching of the church that we are for marriage and that we're against divorce, but, I mean, we haven't taught specifically on how to counter that. We haven't been teaching the truths of God's Word that are the antidote for the marriage problems that we see today. And I believe that that is a shame in the body of Christ because we're the ones that are the... We're actually the only ones who have the answer to marriage today. There's people that are turning to psychologists, psychiatrists, sex therapists, all kinds of people out in the secular world. I'm talking about Christians are doing this, trying to get answers for their marriage. And although the, you could receive some benefit, and I'm not trying to say that these people are, are of no value whatsoever, but I'm saying it's like a Band-Aid on a, on a serious, serious wound. It is not the answer. The Lord is the one that created marriage. God is responsible for marriage, and He would have been irresponsible to give us something and not give us the uh, instructions about how to make it work. Just like the manufacturer of a car. If they make a car, they give you an owner's manual that goes with it that tells you when it needs to be serviced, how to take care of it. If something goes wrong, how to troubleshoot for those things and solve the problems. Did you know that we would consider a manufacturer irresponsible if they created a product that nobody could use? And yet, in by and large, most people actually think that marriage is something that you don't know. There's no absolutes. Where do you go for help? And they aren't turning to the Lord. They aren't turning to the Word of God. And it's a shame because God's Word has an abundance of information on the subject of marriage. We're going to be doing at least 15 or 20 hours of in-depth teaching on the subject of marriage, and we are just scratching the surface. God's Word is explicit, very detailed about marriage, and everything that we need to know is right here in God's Word. It may not be readily available. It may take some digging of these truths out of the Word, but I tell you, everything you need to make your marriage work is right here in God's Word, and we need to be turning to God's Word and looking to Him for our solutions. God is the creator of marriage, and he did not create marriage to function independent of him. He created marriage to actually be a union between a man and a woman with Jesus, with our God at the very center of that marriage. There's a number of scriptures that talk about what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And those scriptures show us that God is involved in the marriage covenant. God created marriage for a sinless, pure man, and he never intended for it to function without him. 
And the reason we see such a deterioration in marriage, so, such a high divorce rate today, is not because marriage is failing, but because people are failing to involve God in their marriage. They aren't taking the Word of God and those principles and truths and applying them to their marriage, and that's the reason that the marriages fail. And so it is a tremendous, it's a, a joy for me to share God's Word because I know that if you will take these truths and apply them to your life, they will work. And I can say that without exception. There is no marriage that is too good that doesn't need improvement. And there's also no marriage that is too bad that it's beyond hope and that God can't help it. I've seen personal testimonies as well as I have the promises of God's Word that you'll know these truths and these truths will set you free. And so I want to encourage you to really open up your heart and begin to expect God to do a miracle in your life. You can determine the degree that this teaching from God's Word will impact you. You can determine that by how much you are anticipating and expecting and drawing on the power of God. So I encourage you to really open up your heart. Now, the very first thing that I want to begin to deal with is talking about the purpose of marriage. Why did God create marriage? What was his mindset? What, was he in, what did he want to uh, accomplish through marriage? Well, one reason is just super obvious, and that is over in the book of Genesis, when he created man, he told him to be fruitful and to multiply and replenish the earth. And so reproduction, or procreation, is definitely one reason that God created marriage for. And I believe that that's obvious. I don't believe that there would be any arguments on that. Uh, one little spinoff, one comment I might make before we leave that is that that purpose of marriage is completely thwarted in homosexuality. You cannot reproduce in homosexuality. And so for anybody to claim that homosexuality is an accepted lifestyle, they are slapping God in the face. They're saying that his plan was not good because you cannot reproduce through homosexuality or lesbianism. It was not Adam and, and Steve. It was Adam and Eve. And that's the way God created it. God created man and woman with certain tendencies and likes, especially spe uh, sexual preferences. And for a person to say that, oh, I'm no, my sexual preference is different than what my body uh, would indicate, then they are saying God made me wrong. It's an ultimate offense and affront towards God. And that's one reason that God hates homosexuality. So one purpose of marriage is for the purpose of reproduction. But, of course, it goes much further than that. And before I share with you exactly what the purpose of marriage is, let me share with you what the purpose of marriage is not. And I'm going to make some statements here that may seem radical. Uh, they may shock you, but that's really my intent in making them, is because we need to challenge our thoughts and make sure that they're based on the Word of God and that we just haven't assumed something. One of the things I'm seeing more and more is that Christians even, I'm not talking about lost people now, but I'm talking about even Christians, have a tremendous amount of attitudes and assumptions that they base their life on that cannot really be traced to the Word of God. We've been influenced by the secular world more than we want to admit. Many of us were not brought up in Christian homes. And there's all kinds of value systems that we have that we have just taken for granted that may be totally opposite what God's Word says. And so we need to challenge our beliefs. And that's not to say that every one of them is wrong, but they need to at least be challenged and go back and find Scripture and verify things based them on the Word of God. Some of the assumptions that people have made about marriage, and it's just so commonplace that it's basically been unchallenged, many people believe that marriage is to make us happy that marriage is to give us contentment and fulfillment, companionship, to take away loneliness, give us all of these kind of emotional and spiritual benefits. Brothers and sisters, that is not God's purpose in marriage. I want you to look at a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is where Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and answering questions about marriage. Back in those days, these people had multiple marriage partners uh, they even had a um, religion that worshipped sex. And they had paid prostitutes that were called priestess, priestesses and priests at the temple that their whole function was to have sex with anybody who wanted to. And that's the way that they worshipped the great goddess of the Corinthians. And so there was a 
tremendous sexual perversion. It had affected marriages, and now that these people were born again, they were trying to straighten out their thinking. Exactly the same thing we're doing right here. Their attitudes, they were challenging them and saying, is this right? What is the proper attitude towards marriage? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul began to answer these questions, and there's a lot of material here on the subject of marriage. But I want to just zero in on some things that he was saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 39 and 40. And he said here, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. He's saying that she's happier if she so abides single, is what he's talking about. So Paul right here is saying, and this is reinforced in other places in this same chapter, Paul is saying that if uh, a person has that calling, if God has given them the grace to remain single, that they will be happier if they remain single. Now that's a radical statement, because again, most people believe that marriage is for the purpose of making them happy. You know, I deal with a lot of singles. I minister at some singles meetings, and I have a tape entitled uh, Special Message for Singles that would really bless you if you know of anyone uh, that's in that situation. But I, I minister to singles, and constantly I'm being confronted with statements uh, like, I'm lonely, I've just got to get married, or I'm just not happy, I need a mate, and on and on these things go. And what they're saying is they are looking to marriage to make them happy. They are looking to marriage to take away loneliness, to give them contentment and fulfillment and on and on and on. And most people, most spirit-filled Christians feel completely justified in those kind of feelings. And they're saying, well, it's just normal, you know. I can't expect to be happy, completely happy, if I'm not married. I can't expect to be anything but lonely if I'm not married. And they feel justified in these emotions because they aren't married. Brothers and sisters, Paul's making it crystal clear right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that marriage is not for the purpose of producing happiness in your life or contentment or it's not for the purpose of taking away loneliness. Now this is really important that a person understands this because if you come into marriage with the wrong expectations or the wrong demands on that marriage, you are going to wind up being frustrated and disappointed when that marriage doesn't fulfill those desires, those expectations. And according to a scripture over in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, the scripture there says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And hope here is talking about your vision, goals, or your expectations. If you've got unrealistic, wrong expectations towards marriage, when they do not come to pass, your heart's going to be made sick. I mean, you're going to be crushed. You're going to feel trapped. And then bitterness will come as a result of it. Bitterness towards your mate like you aren't supplying my needs. It's your fault that I'm not happy. It's your fault that things aren't going right in my life. And ultimately, people even get into bitterness towards God. Like, God, why did you give me this person? Why didn't you tell me what they were going to be like or whatever? I've seen it go that whole route. But see, God didn't intend marriage to be the thing that gave you contentment, peace, happiness, joy, fulfillment. That is not the purpose of marriage. Now, I can illustrate that in a number of ways, but if you would just look back into the book of Genesis, chapter 2, and see where God created Adam, and then and as man was still in a sinless state, I mean, Adam wasn't a sinner. This was not after the fall, but before the fall of Adam, in Genesis chapter 2, God looked at Adam and said, It is not good that man should be alone. Now, this is spoken about a sinless man. Now, that's important. He had not experienced depression, sadness, grief. He was not ready to commit suicide because he was so lonely or any of these things. Adam was happy. Adam was operating in joy and harmony with the Lord. Adam was not lacking in any area, and yet in Genesis 2.18 it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. God instituted marriage for a sinless man who was not using marriage to make him happy, to make him complete, to fulfill him, to do any of these things. So we can see right there, by the way that 
God created marriage and gave it to a sinless man that did not need marriage for a crutch to fulfill some tremendous lack or inadequacy in his life, that marriage cannot be for the purpose that most people today actually expect marriage to fulfill in their life. Marriage was not made for all of these other reasons. And this is just critical that we get our, our thinking straightened out about the very purpose of marriage. You know, an illustration of this, or there's some good friends of mine that I don't think they'd mind me using their name. They've uh, been at some of my meetings. They've shared their testimony, and we even make their uh, testimony available through our ministry. But John Charles and Carolyn Murphy are friends of mine. They now pastor a little uh, spirit-filled Baptist church in Bossier City, Louisiana, and I go and minister there quite often. But they've shared their testimony with me, and I tell you, it is a very good example of what we're talking about, about an unrealistic expectation of marriage. John Charles and Carolyn, when you look at them, they're just super people. I mean, they love God, and they started out that way in their marriage. They didn't get born again after they had already had a terrible marriage, but they were both born again. They were both seeking God. John Charles' father was a pastor. He was a preacher's kid. And, I mean, they were both really committed to the Lord before they got married. John Charles was an athlete. And, uh, I mean, just, uh, you know, Mr. All-Everything in athletics, he's, he's very good at that, captain of the football team and all of these things. He's a handsome-looking man. Carolyn is a beautiful woman, one of these southern belles that's just got all of these charms. And, I mean, it looked like that they were just a perfect match. They were already Christians. They were seeking the Lord. It looked like a marriage totally made in heaven and that everything would work. But within a very short period of time after being married, their marriage began to go sour. And it's a very long story, but um, basically what caused the marriage to go sour, and this is from Carolyn's own testimony about it, she said that she had a fantasy idea of love and romance. It was not realistic. It was based on, uh, uh, I'm not sure, I get these story tales, uh, these fairy tales mixed up, but I think it was uh, Sleeping Beauty. And Prince Charming came by and kissed her, and they rode off on the stallion, and they were happily, they lived happily ever after. And she fantasized, and she envisioned something like that, and she expected her husband to be just everything to her, to give her complete joy, fulfillment. Never again would she be depressed, be discouraged that this man would sweep her off of her feet, and uh, that they would live happily ever after. And yet she said that, you know, the real story starts after they ride off into the sunset. That's not the end. That's the beginning. How do they maintain this? How do they follow up and act like that? And because uh, John Charles was human, and I really believe that out of all of the people I know and from the things that they've shared with me, I really believe John Charles tried to love Carolyn, and he uh, was operated in patience with her, and I believe he was a good husband. Now, he wasn't perfect. But I believe he was a good husband. I don't believe it was just necessarily his fault that uh, things didn't begin to work out. But Carolyn expected so much of him that when he couldn't fulfill that, when he couldn't match up to it, there began to be disappointment. Depression came back in. Discouragement. All of the things that she had expected to just vanish when she got married and found the perfect man those things begin to come back and even come back worse because now the thing that she had been waiting on, anticipating solving all of her problems, was there. She was married, and yet the problems weren't gone. And now a depression set in. She fought uh, having a nervous breakdown. I don't know that she ever had one, but she was on the verge of one. She cried out for help for years and years. And uh, her frustration and disappointment actually turned into bitterness and hatred for John Charles, and he was pastor of a Baptist church in New Mexico, a large Baptist church, and he was really successful in the religious realm, and really coming up, you know, and, and becoming important, and yet his home was falling apart, and he, uh, one time they shared about when he walked in, and Carolyn met him and poured a, a pan of beans on his head, and just treated him terrible, and it was because she was so bitter and upset, disappointed, and she channeled that bitterness towards John Charles, and he really tried to operate in love towards her all this time. Anyway, the story goes on that finally she was going to kill herself on a rifle range, and uh, 
God had healed her, and there's a lot of other things I won't bring in, but God supernaturally spoke to her on this rifle range, turned her life around, and Carolyn just humbled herself, repented, and she began to start drawing on the Lord to give her happiness and peace and joy and contentment and to do all of those things that for, you know, 15 or 20 years, however long it had been since they'd been married, she had been looking at John Charles and trying to draw on him for those things. And he just wasn't able to fulfill it. She turned to the Lord, and the Lord did a work in her life. She became so happy, so joyful. I mean, where she had lived in constant depression, now the joy of the Lord was hers, and uh, God was prospering her. But by this time... Her actions had caused John Charles to have to leave the ministry and to get out of pastoring this large church, and and his life now had come crashing in. And the person who had basically precipitated all of these problems, Carolyn, was now happy and joyful, and here he was suffering, and it caused John Charles now to get angry, and he got mean as a snake. And they gave a testimony about how that uh, she had never really been the loving wife and hadn't served her husband the way that she should. And so after she got turned around and started really... Uh, getting excited about the Lord and walking in the love of the Lord, she came and served John Charles some coffee one time on a tray. And he was sitting in a recliner, and he took the coffee and took one sip and then turned around and spit it in her face. And she just uh, wiped it off and said, Maybe you'd like tea. And she walked back and <laughs> said she had to go into the restroom and just scream. But she was determined to walk in love towards him. And, and see, they their relationship deteriorated to the point that they literally hated each other. And then John Charles turned to the Lord, and they began to start drawing on the Lord to give them contentment and joy and peace. And as their personal relationship with the Lord began to straighten out, then they came back, and they began to relate to each other. No longer was she expecting him to be God to her and supply the things that God was actually meant to supply in their life. She was drawing on God for her spiritual and emotional healing and strength. And then they came together in the marriage, fulfilling the real purpose that God had in marriage. And it's begun to work. And I tell you, now God has restored their love. And they're just so sugary sweet, it's nearly embarrassing to go out in public with them the way they treat each other. I mean, God has done a real miracle in their life. But it was after they quit, after Carolyn quit looking to John Charles to be God to her. Now, that's uh, she wouldn't have phrased it that way. But see, she was placing demands on that husband and on that marriage that only God was intended to fulfill. And brothers and sisters, this same thing is reproduced in marriages all across this world. The same thing is happening. That people have a deficient relationship with the Lord. They don't have peace. They don't have joy the way that they should. They aren't content. They're depressed and they're all of these things. And rather than turning to the Lord and let the Lord supply those needs in their life... They are expecting their mate to do it. And when their mate doesn't do everything just exactly right, and sooner or later they will do something wrong, well, then they jump on those mistakes. They say, you're my problem. They begin to criticize their mate, and it all comes because they were expecting that mate to make them happy. They were expecting to never be lonely again because they now had somebody that they were living with constantly. Brothers and sisters, that is not the purpose of marriage. You can be lonely being married to a person. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just having a person there does not produce uh, freedom from loneliness. Really, the only sure cure for loneliness is relationship with God. And I can testify that I lived for 23 years before I got married. I was single. And when I was in Vietnam, I didn't have any uh, relationship, of course, with women. We were over there by ourselves. And I didn't even have the companionship of other believers as far as I know, I didn't have another Christian that I met in Vietnam for 13 months. And in that situation, I turned to the Lord, I drew on Him, and the Lord ministered to me so supernaturally. I mean, He so fulfilled my longing for companionship that I don't believe I could have had any more relationship if there would have been somebody physical standing there that I could have fellowship with. I mean, that's exactly how good my relationship with the Lord was in that situation. So I can say from experience, I can say from the Word of God, that we are supposed to draw upon the Lord to make us content and to give us that companionship and relationship. That should be the source. Now, marriage can supplement that, but it can never substitute for it. 
And this is what I see people doing all the time. They are trying to substitute marriage for a place in their life that only God can occupy. Did you know I could quit teaching on the subject of marriage right now and we could just talk about nothing but your personal relationship with the Lord. And as your personal relationship with the Lord begins to prosper and expand and increase and deepen, then your marriage relationship will also reflect that. If you have a good relationship with the Lord, and I mean not just an acquaintance, but a relationship to where you really know Him and the life of God is flowing in your life, you will reflect that in your marriage. Your marriage will respond. You will not have a better marriage than you have relationship with God. Now, some people may take issue with that and think, well, now, wait a minute, I know some people don't even know God and they have a good relationship. Well, if you were to really get down deep inside, they may not have some of the fighting that somebody else has, but, I mean, they're falling far, far short of what God's real purpose for marriage is. Your marriage relationship is actually a reflection of relationship with God. And many of us are having bad marriage relationships because we don't have a good relationship with the Lord. I'm not saying that you aren't born again, but I'm saying that we don't have a real intimate, close, personal relationship with the Lord, and it keeps us from having that relationship with our mate. For instance, if you can't receive God's love, you can't turn around and really give God's love. You can give what the world calls love, and I'll be discussing that more as we go on through and talk about God's kind of love in marriage. But you can't really give away something that you don't have. And many people are simply not able to love their mate and overlook some of the things that they've done because they personally have not ever received that unconditional type of love. Most people are deficient in the love of God themselves, and yet they're trying to turn around and give something that they haven't even received. It doesn't work that way. We've got to recognize that we have to have our own personal relationship with the Lord flourishing to make marriage work. Now, I don't mean to discourage somebody who says, well, man, I'm just not where I should be with the Lord. I might as well quit not listen to anything else. I give up. It won't work for me. No, a relationship with the Lord is not hard to come by. Jesus has already done it all for us. He wants to have relationship with you more than you want to have it with him. So please don't get discouraged and don't quit. I'm trying to encourage you that many people are putting tremendous amount of effort into praying for their marriage and saying, Oh, God, straighten my husband out. If he would just start providing for me and the kids, if he would be home, if he would love me, if he would be affectionate towards me, if he'd do these things, then I'll be happy, then I'll have joy. I'm saying that that's the wrong approach. Don't wait on your mate to be what they're supposed to be before you have joy and contentment and fulfillment, etc. Instead, let God minister those things to you through a personal relationship with Him. And then, after you're healthy and whole in that area, come together in that marriage relationship and become a contributor instead of someone who's just taking and needy all of the time. Become an asset instead of a liability in that relationship. You know, I received a letter today from a prisoner. And this letter was about this man receiving our uh, Life for Today uh, Bible study and commentary free. We supply that to many, many prisoners. And he was telling me about what a blessing it was. And he was talking about how since he had found the Lord that all he does in prison is study and pray and witness to people. And it's become a tremendous opportunity for him to grow in the Lord. And he was telling me about the joy that he had and about how God had just changed his life. And I mean, the whole letter was just a praise report talking about how good God was. He was walking in joy. He was content. He was fulfilled. It was a tremendous letter. And then the very last statement in the letter, and it was not the thrust of the letter at all. It was like a P.S. He said, please pray for my wife because because she is committing adultery, and she has a man that has moved in with her and my two children. And pray for her that the Lord will open up her eyes and show her the forgiveness and the life that he's shown me. Now, that's a tremendous letter. And the point that I was trying to make through this is, this man was operating in joy, he was content, he had victory in his life, and it certainly was not because of his circumstances. He was in prison. He was facing all of the negative things that you encounter in prison. And not only that, but his wife was committing adultery on him and had actually taken this man into her home and with his kids 
and he was dealing with all of those things, and yet there was joy in his heart because, see, it was not his marriage that was the source of his joy. It was not circumstances that was the source of his fulfillment and contentment, but rather it's Jesus. And brothers and sisters, to really prosper in marriage, this is one thing, it's, I believe, a first step that we need to take in a marriage relationship is to recognize that regardless of who you're married to, regardless of how good they are, even if they are spirit-filled Christians, doesn't matter who they are, they are not perfect, they are not God, they're going to fail you. And not, not intentionally in some cases. Some cases they will, but in others, I mean unintentionally, they're going to fail you. And you just cannot look to your mate or to that marriage to be the source of your joy, the source of your peace, the source of your contentment. You have to look to God to be those things to you. And then if you, as you begin to relate to the Lord and grow in Him and the power of God flows through you, God will change your marriage. God will move upon your mate. And you will begin to start prospering in a marriage relationship. And, and then the marriage can supplement your joy. It can supplement your peace. It can supplement companionship and relationship. But it will never reach a place to where it can stand as the source of your joy, your happiness, your peace, your fulfillment, your contentment. And because people haven't understood this, they've actually tried to put such a demand, they've put so much pressure on their marriage that no marriage can hold up to it. It just doesn't work that way. And I know that today there is a tremendous divorce rate. People divorce and then they go get another mate. And the thinking is many times, well, I made a mistake, but now I know what to look for. And so they go and they pick somebody. This time their choice should be better, if anything. They ought to be a lot sharper about what not to get in the person and all this. And yet the statistics show that once a person is divorced, the probability of a second divorce in a second and third and fourth marriage, etc., increases dramatically. It goes up like three times as likely and just keeps on going up. Instead of getting better because now we know not what, because now we know what not to look for, etc., it seems to get worse. And there's multiple reasons for that, but one of the biggest ones is that that person is looking to marriage. They're trying to find something in marriage. They're trying to find the perfect mate that will minister to them and supply everything they need. That person doesn't exist. You can't find that. God is the only person who will never disappoint you. And instead of waiting on marriage to make you happy and marriage to make you content, fulfilled, etc., let God do that for you. And then, as the Lord supplies those needs, and as you become a healthy person, a person who is healed emotionally and spiritually, then you can begin to be a positive influence on that marriage. And you can be a channel for God's love to flow through to your mate. And it can actually become a competition between you and your mate about who can give the most, who can love the most, who can forgive the most. And I tell you, once that begins, you've got a healthy marriage in the process and in the making, and it will work. But one of the first steps is to recognize that we have put unrealistic uh, fantasy-type expectations on marriage, and it simply can't stand the pressure. It was not created for those purposes. So what is the real purpose of marriage? Why did God create marriage? Remember, I use that scripture over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that God gave marriage to a man in a sinless state. He was not lonely, and so it was not for the purpose of providing him with just uh, fellowship so he wouldn't be lonely anymore. He was not depressed, so it wasn't to take away his depression and sadness. He was not uh, any of the things that most people are drawing on. What was the purpose of marriage? Now, again, I, I reinstate that one of the purposes was for procreation, reproduction, but there's much more to it than that, and there's many scriptures. I'm not going to spend a lot of time belaboring that. I believe that the, probably the dominant reason for God establishing marriage was so that he could create power in unity. He could release power through the unity and the agreement of the man and the woman. Now, when God took Eve out of Adam, most of us look at that, well, if you take something from something else, then that means that you don't have the whole thing left. Like, for instance, if you have five apples, and if you take four away, then you've only got one left. 
But that's not the way it worked with God. God can divide and multiply and still have more left when he's through than he did when he started. We can see that in the sixth chapter of the book of John where he fed 5,000 men, and that's just the men. That's not including the women and children. He had five loaves and two fish. He fed all of those people till they're full, and when he took up the fragments that remained, he had more left over than when he started. God divided and gave and yet wound up with actually more. That doesn't compute with us, but yet that's the way that God operates. When God took Eve out of Adam, Adam was no less. He was not deficient, and yet Eve was also no less. They were two whole, complete individuals, and yet together with the union that God made between them, and I'll be dealing with this more as we talk about the priority of marriage, when, with the union God made, they were not just twice as much. They were actually multiplied. Uh, instead of just addition, it was multiplication. We have a word for that. It's not a real common word, but the word synergy is describing this relationship. And when you put two things together of equal value or equal power, it doesn't just equal one plus one equals two, but it actually is equivalent to one plus one equals ten or a hundred. There's a multiplication effect instead of an addition. And we have a word in our language for that synergy, and it's describing this. When two people come together, there is power in unity and in agreement. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that when God created Adam and Eve, it says that he blessed them and told them to have dominion, literally take dominion, use this dominion, and rule and conquer this earth. And so Adam needed power to exercise what God had said. He, he was given the authority by God. He needed power. And one way that God increased the power, turned up the power in Adam's life, was by creating Eve, bonding them together, making them one flesh, which actually produced a powerful union that equaled not just twice what Adam was equal to on his own, but many multiplied times over. Now, there's many scriptures in the Word that go along with this. Jesus taught on this in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew, and he said, If any two of you agree here on earth as touching anything that they ask, it shall be done for them of my Father. And then he repeated it, and he says, Verily I say unto you, if any two of you on earth agree as touching anything, it shall be done for them. Now, every time the Lord said something, it was true. When he said verily, I mean, he was trying to make a point that this is true. And when he repeated it, I mean, it is forever settled and established. No question about this. God is saying that there is power in agreement. And the closest agreement that you can get is with a husband and wife because they literally are one in the sight of God. And so there's power in that marriage relationship, power of agreement. There's many other scriptures on this. One I'd like to read is Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. And this is a scripture that the Lord gave to me when I was praying about marrying my wife, Jamie. Uh, I really felt like it was the Lord's will, and yet I had been willing to be the Apostle Paul and be single all of my life. And I was questioning about, God, is this right? Uh, is this really what you want? And the Lord was showing me the purpose of him bringing me together in this marriage. And he gave me this scripture out of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and applied it directly to marriage. Ecclesiastes 4 9 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, we could spend a lot of time on each one of those points, but, but the point that the Lord is making is that there is a power in two that you don't get by just having one alone. I believe that that's the reason the Lord sent his disciples out two by two. You know, I go out and minister, and I take other ministers with me sometimes. And I tell you, it, it, there's a difference in your attitude. There's a boldness. There's a confidence. There's a power. That's just a very good way to describe it. There's a power in two being in agreement and two going out. And it's, and it's uh, exemplified many, many places in Scripture. Another Scripture that would verify this is Psalms 133. And in that passage, the scripture there says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
It's like the precious oil upon the head of Aaron that ran down his beard and into the skirts of his garment. And that's talking about Aaron was the high priest, and he was anointed with oil, symbolic of the Holy Ghost, the anointing of the Holy Spirit being upon him. And the Bible here is saying that unity among brethren is like this anointing power of the Holy Ghost coming upon the high priest for service. And then the third verse goes on to say, It's like the dew of Hermon that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands his blessing, even life, forevermore. Unity brings the blessing, that com it brings a command of the blessing of God, life forevermore, everlasting life. Boy, that scripture could be dealt with for a long time too, but it's again talking about the power of unity. There is a blessing, there is a power when people come into unity. And I believe that that's the reason God put man and woman together the way that he did and made them one flesh is so that there could be power. We could multiply our power to rule and to conquer and to subdue this earth. You know, another example of this is over in Genesis chapter 11. And in this instance, this is where the uh, people after the flood, they went out and they began to start building the Tower of Babel. And they did it, they said, so that they could make them a name in the earth, lest they be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6, or excuse me, verse 5, it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all of the earth, and they left off to build the city. And so that's where he gave different languages. But this is really interesting. This is kind of a negative example of the power of unity. But here they were, not united in the Lord. They were just united in the flesh for their own selfish purposes. And yet God, when he saw this, it says that the people, because they are one, he emphasized that. That was where they got this power and this ability from. Because they are one and have all one language, they begin to do this, and now nothing will be restrained unto them. That's an awesome statement. You know, the Lord here, I mean, this is something for God to feel challenged by man. It reflects the great power and authority that he gave us, but it also is a statement about the power of unity. Because they were one, they could have accomplished nearly anything. And the Lord, for their own good, divided them and slowed down that progress. Boy, now that is a tremendous statement about unity. Unity is a powerful force. And this is exactly the reason that the devil is fighting marriages today the way that he is. Because if he can divide the homes, then he can divide churches because churches are made up of people who live in families. And he can divide the nation. Did you know that there is no nation that once the family has decayed, once morals decay, then the family decays, there is a breakup of the family unit, and there is no civilization in history that has ever endured very long after the families begin to fall apart. You can take it right from Rome on through every civilization. And I mean when they entered into a level of prosperity and all of a sudden they became immoral and there began to be a complete falling apart of family structure, that was the uh, death bell to those civilizations. The purpose that God gave marriage to us for is for unity, for the power of agreement, so that two coming together could have a union and release more power than we could ever accomplish by ourselves. He did it to multiply our effectiveness, to multiply our power so that we could rule and reign. And that's what we ought to expect out of marriage. Now, of course, with this marriage, to make that union work, we need to be operating in harmony. There needs to be joy. There needs to be contentment. There needs to be all of these things in our life. But marriage itself doesn't produce that. Our personal relationship with God produces that. And as we have a good, healthy relationship with God, well, then we'll have a good, healthy relationship with each other that will be a blessing and will facilitate us and make that agreement, the power of agreement, much more evident and release that power in our life. But we cannot look to marriage for something that God didn't intend it to be. And I believe that this is just so critical that people recognize this. 
The purpose of marriage is for unity. The purpose of marriage is for the power that comes out of a unity, that agreement that we can agree is touching anything here on this earth and it shall be done for us. Now some people don't recognize that as the purpose. They've looked to all of these other things. I can tell you that you will never see the power of God through unity released in your marriage unless it becomes a goal of yours, unless you put that as the purpose of your marriage, to walk in harmony and love and be a blessing to this earth, to release power and through the two of you subdue and rule and produce godly offsprings, as it says in Malachi 2.15. If you don't set that as your goal and your purpose, if you're looking to marriage to make you happy and all of these other things, then I promise you, you're going to be discouraged, frustrated, disappointed, become bitter, and have all kinds of problems that will find their root right in this one misunderstanding that we've dealt with today. A marriage that has uh, power in it of agreement, and you recognize that, it doesn't happen accidentally. It has to be something that you plan for, that you believe for. The devil will see to it that it doesn't just come to pass. And so you have to set this as a goal. And I encourage you to take the things that I've shared today from God's Word on this and to refocus your expectations and what you're demanding from marriage. And instead of beginning to look at it as, I need to plug into marriage and I'm expecting to get out of it all of these things, start looking at it as, what can I give to this marriage? What can I put into it? And let God be the one that's ministering to you. God is the only one that is really capable who is worthy, who is able to supply those things that you need in your life. The things that you are so disappointed about your mate. I'm not saying that every mate of every person listening to me is perfect. I know that they aren't, and I know that there's a lot of problems. But many of the problems that we're dealing with, uh, there's no way to get around them. I guarantee you, my wife, some people look at me and think, well, boy, you minister the Word and you teach these things and you walk in love and you do this and, boy, it must just be easy to get along with you. Well, you ought to ask my wife. <laughs> I, my wife loves me and we have a good relationship, but I'm not perfect and my wife has to let God be the one that can supply her needs. Did you know that if we just allowed self to go unrestrained, then it's impossible to ever satisfy self. I don't care who I am or who you think somebody else is and who, who you ever you could envision that had their act together. You could never satisfy a person who is not really in union with the Lord. Eventually, you're going to dissatisfy them, whether it's intentionally or by neglect. And that person's going to wind up being disappointed and then turned into bitterness, resentment, and uh, on and on it goes. My wife has to have God supply her. I try and meet her needs. I try and be a blessing. I supplement what God does, but I cannot substitute for God in her life. She has to have a vital relationship with God. And it's the same thing with me. You know, there's things that my wife does sometimes that are totally unintentional. And I know that she doesn't even have the slightest idea that she's doing anything that would ever offend me or bother me. And uh, I've recognized that. And so I just go to the Lord and I say, Father, forgive me for being so selfish and, and uh, wanting certain things. Sometimes when it's a valid need I have and my wife just misses it and forgets it or doesn't see it, well, I go to the Lord and I just ask the Lord to forgive her and forgive me and help us to just get along. I don't expect my wife to be perfect. My wife does not expect me to be perfect. She doesn't expect me to supply what only God can supply and vice versa. And that has been a tremendous breakthrough in our marriage. It's tremendous because, I mean, I don't expect my wife to cause problems, but I know that she's not God. I know that she's still growing. And when I see something intentional or unintentional, well, then I just go to the Lord and I let God supply those needs. I let God minister to me. I ask God to minister to her. And we continue to walk in agreement. We continue to forgive each other. We continue because I no longer expect my wife to be perfect. And I no longer believe that she expects me to be that way. We've come to some grips with some things, and we really draw on the Lord for our real contentment and our peace. And again, I know that somebody could misunderstand what I'm saying and saying, well, man, you just don't expect much out of marriage. No, I really do expect a lot out of marriage. But it's, it's different. I'm looking to God as being my source. 
and marriage will reflect that. It will supplement it, but it is not my source. And that is a position of strength. Because of that, I can say, like the psalmist did in Psalms 139, that, lo, if I make my bed in hell, there God is with me. And I'm going to praise God. I'm going to rejoice regardless of what happens. There's some of you that are waiting until your marriage gets all right before you really start operating in joy and peace. It'll never happen. Your marriage will never be able to fulfill that God-shaped vacuum in your life. God's the only one that can fill it. Others can help you, momentarily bless you, but the only long-term answer is God being the source of your happiness, your joy, your peace, your fulfillment, everything else. And that's the first step that you need to take in marriage. You need to recognize that it's a blessing from God. It has a definite purpose to release power in your life. The prayer of agreement, someone to help you up when you fall. There's many advantages of it, but it is not the source of your joy, happiness, contentment, etc. And if you would just realize that, humble yourself, redirect your attention towards God, and look to Him for the things that only He can supply, it will really make a difference in many of your lives. It will allow you to begin to start being a productive giving member of the marriage instead of a taker and praise god it'll be a blessing to you the other things we have to share as we go on through the priority of marriage strife and marriage all of these things these things are going to complement and add to this but i tell you this is a real foundation of things that you need to know in your marriage we hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of god through this message Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.